um, four different verses. Hebrews 11, we're going to uh, look into verse 10, and we're going to skip to verse 13 to 16. Hebrews 11, 10, and then 13 to 16. Um, we've been talking about the book of Hebrews now for uh, over a year, and um, we have arrived to chapter 11. And chapter 11, the author of Hebrews is encouraging his reader in the face of persecution to live by faith, right? And how did we define faith since we started in chapter uh, 11 of the book of Hebrews? Faith is action based on trust in the actual promises of God. This is key. We're going to go over it a couple of times today. Let's say it together again. Faith is action based on trust in the actual promises of God. So uh, we have seen that the author of Hebrews started by defining faith for us. What is it? What is faith? And then he went through different Old Testament examples. And throughout the chapter, he's going to show us that pretty much every single person in the Old Testament lived their life by faith. We've seen the faith of Abel, right? We've, we've seen the, the faith of Enoch, the faith of Noah, and now we have seen the faith of Abraham. And this is our third week talking about the faith of Abraham. So... I'm going to read a large passage, but I'm going to break it down so we can follow the thought process of the book of, of the author of Hebrews. And then we're going to only speak about these four verses, verse 10 and then verse 13 to 16. So Hebrews 11:8. this is when the author of Hebrews start giving us an example, another example of Abraham, how he lived his life by faith. And that's what we see in verse 10, 8, and verse 9. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. And then in verse 10, the author of Hebrews start giving us his own commentary, his own notes on the example of the life of Abraham that he just shown us. And in Hebrews 11, 10, he said, For he was looking forward to the city with foundation, whose architect and builder is God. So this is not in the Old Testament. This is the author of Hebrews' comment on the example of Abraham. And then he went back to give us another example of Sarah, which we'll talk about next week. In, in verse 11 and 12. And by faith, even Sarah, when we was um, past childbearing age, she was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. I mean, talking about being powerful wording, it's just insane, this verse. Um, verse 12. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descendant as numerous as the stars of the sky and as the countless and as countless as the sand of the seashore. So now he's given us the example of Sarah. Now the author of Hebrews went back to give us his own commentary on what he had talked about so far. And he said, all these people, whether it's Abel or, I mean, it depends on how you look at it, but you can look at Abraham and Sarah, or you can look even further to Abel, Enoch, um, uh, Abraham, and Sarah. But ultimately here he's commenting and he's saying, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. 
People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city, or has prepared the city for them. So that is um, the author of Hebrews' commentary on what he has shown us so far. And then in verse 17, he went back to draw another example from the life of Abraham, how he lived by faith in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him to offer Isaac, the list goes on, how Abraham passed that test of faith. So you guys follow um, the thought process here of what the author of Hebrews is doing? So that's why today we're just going to pick up his own commentaries and we're going to comment on his own commentary. Amen. We're going to preach on his own sermon. Okay. So we're going to pick verse 10 and then we're going to pick verse 13 to 16. And we're going to talk about how he perceived his own understanding of the example of faith that he has already mentioned to us. You guys are with me? Yeah. All right. So in verse 10, verse 13 to 16, the author of Hebrews taught us or commented about three things that we learn regarding faith. Three things that we learn regarding faith. Number one, we learn that faith is to trust the one who promised. You guys are with me? Yes. Number two, faith goes, give, faith gives us, gives an understanding of what is promised. And number three, faith is to trust, is faith is trust in the one, okay, I'm sorry. Faith associate us with the God of promise. Amen? I butchered that, so let's do it again. All right? Number one, faith is to trust the one who promised. That's God. Number two, faith gives us an understanding of what is promised. And number three, faith associates us with the God of promise. Let's talk about these three points that the author of Hebrews was pointing out to us. Number one, faith means to trust the one who promised. Question. In verse 13, it says this, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Did Abraham or Sarah or any of the people in, that he has talked about so far received the actual promises of God? Yes. No. They say he did not receive it, right? They did not receive the promised land or any of the promises of God. But he didn't see his descendants being multitudes and all the actual promises of God. Right. And the word promise here is plural. It's actually many promises. What are these many promises that they did not receive? That might take us back to Genesis 12. When God appeared to Abraham and he promised him that he said, Your descendant will be as numerous as the sand of the sea. I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in your descendant, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Multiple promises God has given Abraham. But Abraham and Sarah and pretty much everybody after that did not see these promises being fulfilled. Right? They lived and died and they have not seen none of these promises being fulfilled. And that, that, that teaches us something very important. Faith is not to trust in an actual fulfillment or an actual way of fulfillment the promises of God. 
faith is actually to trust God himself. Amen. That even though sometimes we don't see with your own eyes that God is fulfilling what he has promised, yet you keep on trusting him in spite of what your eyes and your physical senses are actually telling you. Amen? As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews closed chapter 11 by telling us that it is not just Abraham and Sarah, but pretty much every single person in Hebrews 11 died without receiving the promises of God. In, in verse 39 and, 30 and 40, it says this, And all these, all the people that we have been talking about, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. None of them. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us, the New Testament believers. The reason why the Old Testament believers received none of the promises of God is that God was waiting for the New Testament believers so that Old and New Testament believers can receive the fulfillment of the promises of God. Amen? We're living in a time where people misrepresent, I would say intentionally manipulate, even prostitute the word of God. And they make God like, you push a button and then God will answer you right away. And it has to be your way. And if it's not your way, then, it's not, then, then there's a problem. It's not like that at all in the scripture. Faith, here it is, bolded for you. Faith is to trust God, is not to trust God to act in a certain way. Faith is just to trust God. Amen? That's why we say the very definition of faith is what? We, we define it simply is to act, but this action is based on trust in the actual promises of God. The problem is sometimes God doesn't say certain promises in his word. You assume he said things, you think he said things, and you start trusting God for things he did not promise. You end up being disappointed at God, and it's not really God's fault, right? You're the one who assuming he's saying this. He didn't say that in the scripture. You guys are with me? So faith is not to trust in an assumptions about God or even to trust God that he will fulfill his promises in certain ways. Faith is just simply to trust God. No matter the outcome, I trust God. Look at this. In the book of Daniel, we read about Daniel's three friends. I want to read this large passage because it's just so good. Look at the faith of the friends of Daniel. Look at this. Daniel 3, 13 to 18. Then Nebuchadnezzar, that's the biggest emperor, the king of kings at that time, um, he wanted everybody to worship him, and Daniel's friends did not want to worship him. So he got angry about that. And it says, in rage and fury, give the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo. So they brought them, these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true? Now, these are counselors for the king. Like, these are top-notch people, like White House workers. Think about it this way. And he's saying, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at this time, he's giving them a second chance. Okay, because I, I, I care about you guys. You're, you're so good to me and you work for me. I'll give you a second chance. Verse 15. Now, if you are ready at this time, you hear the sound of the, the, the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and uh, psaltery in a symphony with all the kinds of music. And you fell down and worship the image which I have made good. 
But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is, this is a question, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? It's saying, you know what? You mess it up, but I'll give you another chance. Okay, I'll give you one more chance. We'll blow the horn, play all these musics. And if you listen and obey and worship, you're good. If not, then you're doomed. And there's no God who can save out of my hand. Now look at their answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to think about this. Oh, you want to give us time to think about it? We already thought about it. We don't need to think about this any further. We have no need to answer you in this manner. Don't give us any more time. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. You're asking who's a God who can deliver from my hand? We know who's that God. It's our God. Amen? Now that's faith, isn't it? Yes. Right. But did they stop there? No. Let's continue what they said. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. One way or another, he will deliver us. But even not, but, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You guys are with me? He said, there's a God who can save from your hand, and it's our God. But even if he does not save us from our hand and we die, we're still not going to do it anyway. Amen? What did the Daniel's friend trust it? Did they, did they trust that God will save them? No. What did they trust? They trusted God. Whether he saves them or not save them, they just trusted God. And that is truly what faith is. Faith is not to trust in a certain outcome. Faith is to trust God who made the promises. Amen? Faith is not even to trust God to fulfill his promises in a certain way. Faith is just to trust God. Amen? Amen? Now look at this. This blew my mind away. In the book of Hebrews, at the last, at the end of chapter 11, here is what the author of Hebrews said about the cloud of witnesses. Look at this. In verse 30, 33 to 35, he said about them, who through faith, these people, through faith, did what? They subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of the lion, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned into flight, turned to flight the armies of aliens, and women received their dead, raised to life again. Now, this is kind of how we all understand faith. You trust God and it works out. And in spite of the fact that it's such a difficult situation, God works it out and you, this is what faith is. You trust God and he makes you see you through it. But let's continue to read what is faith and how other people also exhibited faith in God. They continue verse 35. Others were tortured. Still, by faith, they were tortured. You're with me? Others were tortured by faith, not accepting deliverance, and that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still, others had trial of mocking and scourging by faith. They endured the trial and the scourging. Yet, yes, and of chains and imprisonment by faith. They went to chains and they went to prison. They were stoned by faith. How can you be like, how is that ex exhibiting faith when you're being killed 
Well, you don't trust a certain outcome. You just trust God no matter what happened your way. Amen? And they were sawn into two. Now, this is awful. They bring a saw and they cut you into two pieces. And they did that by faith. And they were tempted. They were slain with the sword by faith. They wandered about in, in sheepskin and goatskin, being dis, uh, destitute, afflicted, and tormented. All of this was still by faith. We look at this and say, oh, this is the lack of faith. The only reason why they're not being delivered is that they don't have faith. But the author of Hebrews is telling us, no. Some by faith have miraculous outcomes, and some by faith did not have any outcomes. But the fact of the matter is, faith is to trust God, not to trust a certain outcome. You guys are with me? I mean, look at these two things that I bolded to you. This is just mind-blowing to me. Some by faith, in the first part, escaped the edge of the sword, and some by faith were slain by the sword. Do you see that? They're both by faith. Some escaped the sword, and some were slain by the sword. So which one is it? How can I trust God? Should I, if, I, if I have a sword ahead of me, should I trust that God will rescue me and deliver me? Or should I trust that God will let me be slain? Well, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. You just trust God. No matter what comes, no matter what the outcome is, faith is not to trust in a certain outcome. Faith is to trust God regardless of the outcome. Amen? We're living in a time where faith is understood as you go through a hard time, God see you through it, that's faith. And if it doesn't happen this way, then that's not faith. That's not what the scripture tells us. Amen? But let me pause here for a second. What is faith again? Faith is uh, what? Action based on trust in the actual promises of God. So we need to be very careful about how we apply that to our lives. For example... If you are, like let's take Justine, you just mentioned how you're going through the hard time at work. Now, faith is to trust God regardless of the outcome. Can God change that situation tomorrow morning? He can. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But at the end of the day, you just trust God no matter what the outcome is. You guys are with me? Okay, so that's a situation like this. You're being persecuted because you're a Christian. So it doesn't matter if God delivered you or not delivered you, you just trust God. You're a believer, you're sick. Okay, you know, God does heal and he can heal you tomorrow if he wants to. Whether he heals you tomorrow or not heal you tomorrow, you trust God no matter what. You guys are with me? But the flip side of that, there are some clear promises in the scripture that God has given us that we have to trust God that the outcome will be in a certain way. For example, if you have a son or a daughter, brother or sister who's not a believer and you're crying out to God for the sake of their salvation, now we know from the word of God that this is God's will for them to be saved. Amen? So you need to trust God that they will come to the saving knowledge of Christ. It's just a matter of time. Maybe you will not even see it with your own eyes. Maybe you will die before your family members come to know Jesus. But you need to know that God will answer your prayer no matter what. He might not answer it the way you want it, but he will surely answer your prayer. Amen? That's why it's extremely important to understand the promises of God. What did God actually say so you can trust him on what he said, not what you assume that he said? Amen? Amen. All right, so what is faith here? Faith isn't just to trust in a certain outcome. Faith is to trust God regardless of the outcome. 
And that's what we see here in the life of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, all of these people. They all lived in a life that they trusted God and none of them have seen the promises of God being fulfilled during their lifetime. But in spite of the fact that they have not seen the promises being fulfilled, they have the attitude of faith. Look at that. We read in verse 10 that they were looking forward to a city that its builder and that its architect and builder is God. In Greek, that word was looking forward is actually intensified intense, which shows you how sincere and diligent they were, they were in looking for that city. And it's a continuous tense, past continuous tense. We're looking. It doesn't say they looked for the city, but they were looking. We're looking for the city because looking to that city was the way they lived their life. It wasn't just some random incidences that they experienced here and there. It was the way they lived their whole life, intentionally, intensively living their lives, looking forward to that city that God has prepared for them. Amen? And look at that in verse uh, 13. It says this, All these people were still living by faith when they died. I mean, talking about powerful wording. Living by faith while they are dying. Think about that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they might be on their bed dying, breathing their last breath. They are dying, but at that very moment of death, they are still living by faith. Even the very event of death did not take away the trust in God that he will fulfill their promises. Even death will not hold God back from fulfilling the very promises that he has made for them. Amen? Amen. Living by faith while they were dying. Just such a powerful statement. And it says also that they saw the city from a distance and they welcomed it and they longed for it. Does that remind us of anything? Hebrews 11.1. 1. What is faith? Faith is to see evidence of things are not seen yet, right? To see the unseen. And we see an example right here of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah who saw the unseen, the city that God has prepared. They saw it from a distance, even though it was unseen. Yet by faith, they saw that. And it says they welcomed it from a distance. In Greek, that's an idiom. It's, the idea here is if you're um, in a ship, and you're uh, approaching or leaving your homeland and you're just seeing your friends and family member and you're waving to them, that is the kind of attitude they had. It's just, this is our homeland over there and they're just waving at it and they welcome it even from a distance. And they also desired that city. We read about that in verse 16. They longed for it. They desired to have that city whom architect and builder is God. Amen? None of them received the promises, but they all have the attitude of, I'm going to trust God no matter what happened. He might not fulfill his promises my way, but I choose to trust that he will fulfill his promises no matter how. Amen? And that should be a lesson to all of us. Trust God. And it's hard. It's hard when you see with your eyes that everything is not working. Look at our church. We pray and nothing is happening. But we have to trust God. Remember what we said before. It is without faith that is impossible to please God. Amen? Trust him no matter what. But number two, faith gives us an understanding of what is promised. 
I mean, think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The whole idea here of verse 13 to 16, it seems like there's a word play because God has promised them the promised land. Yet, even though they were foreigners on the promised land, they were looking at a different promised land, the heavenly promised land. You guys are with me? And that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. Faith helps us to understand God, understand the actual promises of God. What God is actually telling us, that's what faith helps us to do, understand what God has actually promised. Faith enabled Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah not to focus on the earthly, earthly inheritance, but on the eternal one. It says this in, in verse 13. They were admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And we see that in the life of Abraham, for example, when he was about to buy the, the, the grave to bury Sarah, he said this to, um, to the people that he was buying this from the grave from them. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. That's after Sarah died. Long time in his journey. Look how he thought of himself. I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Look at Jacob. Now Jacob in the land of Egypt, <coughs> Joseph is already exalted. That was the very tail end of the life of Jacob. And Jacob, Pharaoh is asking him, how old are you? And look at how Jacob answered. The years of my what? Pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they're not equal to the years of the pilgrimage of my <coughs> father. Do you see the attitude they have? I am a foreigner. I am a stranger. This land is not mine. This earth is not mine. I have a different place. And verse 15 said, if they would have been looking into this earth as their ultimate inheritance, they could have gone back if they wanted to, but they didn't. And we see also examples of that in the life of Abraham and the life of Jacob. Remember when Abraham wanted to find a wife for his son Isaac, and he sent his, um, his, his servant, uh, Eleazar to Damascus, and he said, go get me a wife for Isaac, but bring her here, because I don't want Isaac to ultimately end up there. I don't want to go back to where I came from. I'm not going to go back there. And the same idea we see about um, Jacob uh, in Genesis 31, verse 3. We read this. Um, Yes, after, uh, in the following generation, Jacob had to flee the Mesopotamia. Remember, Jacob went back to his land of, uh, of, of the origin so he can uh, serve Laban, his uncle, right? He, he fled. But after he stayed there for that long and he served his Laban and has two wives, what did Jacob ultimately do? Did he stay in the land of the origin of his fathers? No, he went back to the land of Canaan, the land of the promise. Both of Jacob and Abraham had a chance to go back and stay there, but they both declined and they both stayed. Why? Because their eyes and their focus was not just on the earthly land of Canaan. They were looking to the heavenly land of Canaan. You guys are with me? Faith helped us understand what is a promise. They were looking forward to that city that God has made. Look at how the author of Hebrews described that city for us. Number one is the city with the foundation. And we read that in verse, uh, verse 10. Remember this. In the promised land, they were living in tents. But when it talks about the city of God, he chose the word city with foundation to show us the massive contrast between the way they lived their life in movable, shakeable tents versus the city with foundation that God has prepared for them. Amen? This city has God as both its architect and its builder. 
when he said that God is the architect, that shows us the wisdom of God in building that city. And when it says that God is builder, that shows us the power of God in building that city. Amen? So God is the architect and the builder of that city with foundation. And it is a heavenly one. That's what the Bible tells us. It is not out of this earth. It is the one that is in heaven. And look at that in, in, in the book of Hebrews 11. It talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And look what it says. They were foreigner and stranger where? On earth. The whole planet earth. Yes. It doesn't matter where they lived. We are foreigner and stranger. They didn't say that they were foreigner and strangers in Mesopotamia where they came from or foreigner and strangers in Canaan where they were living. But in spite of where they living, any place in this earth, they would still consider themselves to be foreigners and strangers. Why? Because their home, their land is not of this earth. It is heavenly. Amen? And remember that the author of Hebrews was writing that book to people who are persecuted and he wanted to encourage them not to focus on the earthly things but only on the things that matter, the eternal heavenly things. Amen? The author of Hebrews used the word heavenly six times among the 19 times that word was mentioned in the whole New Testament gives you a, a, a point here, right? 30% roughly of the times that the word heavenly was mentioned in the New Testament was used 30% by the author of Hebrews because he wanted to encourage his readers not to focus on the earthly temporary persecution that they're enduring, but rather on the permanent, eternal, heavenly fulfillment of the promises of God. Amen? We read about heavenly calling in 3.1. We read about the heavenly gifts in 6.4. We read about that everything that, that Moses did was just shadows of the heavenly things of above. Amen? So two things about faith so far. I haven't preached last week, so this week going to be a little bit long. Amen? All right, so two things about faith so far. Number one, faith helps us to trust God who made the promise, right? Faith is trust God, not to trust in a fulfillment of God's promise in a certain way. But number two, faith helps us or gives us understanding of what is promised. Amen? Amen. And finally here, faith associates us with the God of promise. Verse 16, therefore God is not ashamed because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah lived all their life by faith in spite of the fact that they did not see the fulfillment of the promises of God. They trusted him anyway. Because of all of that, God was not ashamed to be called their God. That's why in the scripture, many times God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how God used to identify himself in the Old Testament. He's not ashamed to put his name next to theirs. Why? Because they lived all their lives by faith. They trusted God. Amen? Amen. Now, think about this. What made God associate himself with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not their holiness. Right? They're all messed up. Some of them messed up big time, right? It wasn't their holiness or their faithfulness. What make God is not ashamed to associate himself with each one of them is their faith. Think about that. 
God associated himself with Jacob, the most among all three. And Jacob was the most wicked, most crafty one among all of them, right? But it is not the holiness of Jacob or the attitude of Jacob or the perfection of Jacob or how good and how well Jacob behaved before God. It is Jacob trusting God, the faith of Jacob at the very end of his life, he still know that he's a stranger and a foreigner and looking to the very fulfillment of the promises of God. Amen? Do you want God not to be ashamed to be called your God? How should you live your life? By faith, by trusting him. Amen? It's not going to be your holiness, and thank God for that. If it's our holiness, God will be ashamed of me, first of all, to be called my God. Amen? But it's trusting him and trusting him when it's hard. Not trusting him when it's easy to trust him. Trusting him when it makes no sense to trust him. That is the one thing that God will please his heart and he will not be ashamed to be called our God. Amen? Takes us back to what the author of Hebrews said. It is without faith. It is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Amen? God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, remember that right before that, the author of Hebrews said that these patriarchs, they confessed that they are strangers and foreigners. The word confess that the author of Hebrews used here in Greek, this is what William Lane says, the word confessing here mean public acknowledgement. They were not ashamed to declare publicly that they are strangers and foreigners and they associate themselves with God and his eternal promises rather than of the earthly passing temporary land. You guys are with me? In response of their public acknowledgement of God, God responding back by being publicly acknowledging them and not being ashamed of them. Ring a bell? Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32 and 33? Jesus said this, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father. Right? And whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father. Because they publicly confessed God. God is publicly confessing them and not ashamed to be their God. Amen? God is not ashamed to be, uh, to be called their God. How? Did God show them that he's not ashamed to be their God? Tells us right after that he prepared a city for them. So that he and them can hang out together for all eternity. Amen? That's the reason. He's not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. If I'm ashamed of Jimmy, I will not show up at Starbucks with him. You guys are with me? <laughs> the only reason I'm not ashamed, I can go among people. I can hang out with Jimmy. I'm not ashamed. I don't care if people see me. I'm not ashamed to be associated with him. You guys are with me? And that's precisely what God did. He built the city so you and I and him can live together for all eternity because he's not ashamed to be seen with us in public. Amen. And that's what we read in Revelation 21, verse 3. God prepared a city where he will dwell with them and they will be with, and he will be with his people. And God himself will be with them and he will be their gods. It's a city where God will dwell with us forever. Does that ring a bell again? God preparing a city where we, him and us will hang out for all eternity? Isn't that literally what Jesus said in John 14, 2 and 3? I go to prepare a place for you, and when I go and prepare the place, I will come again and receive you to myself, and where I am, therefore you will also be. Amen? Amen. God is not ashamed to be called their God, therefore he has prepared for them a city. Let's just close by 
just looking at the different things that God has prepared throughout the scripture. I think it's pretty interesting. Amen? Amen. There's 10 things that God has prepared throughout the scripture. Number one, we see that God has prepared future prompt positions of authority. We read that in Matthew 20, 32, when, when uh, the mother of John and... Um, yeah. Was the other guy? I can't remember him. Anyways, they came to them and say, "Hey, uh, have my kids to sit at your side." What did Jesus say for all eternity? He said this: "You will need to drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am going to be baptized with. But to sit on my right hand, on my left hand, is not mine to give, but it is this: it is for those for whom it has been." prepared by my father. So God has prepared future positions of authority. God has prepared his coming kingdom. We see this like in uh, giving us eternal life pretty much. In Matthew 25, 34, the king will say to those who are at right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom God has prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen? God has prepared salvation personified in his son Jesus. In Luke chapter 2 verse 31, when uh, Simon the prophet, he saw Jesus for the first time as a baby and looked at Jesus and he said this, which you, the, the salvation which you salvation personified in Jesus, which you have prepared before the face of all your people. He said, now you can let your servant go in peace because I have seen that your salvation, which you have prepared before all your people. Amen. God has prepared future blessings for all of us. First Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared good things. Amen. Nothing bad God has ever prepared for us. Amen. He has prepared a city. We just read that in, in Hebrews eleven six, where he's not going to be ashamed to be called our God. He has prepared a, a place of refuge that's down the road historically. Uh, for the Jewish remnant, we read that in, in Revelation 12, 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. That's, it depends on your eschatology, but usually that's a reference to the Jewish remnant during the tribulation time. Number seven, God has prepared the tools of divine judgment. That We read that in, in Revelation 9, 15. So the four angels who are been uh, prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill the third of the humankind. So God has prepared tools of judgment. Number eight, God has prepared eternal fire, hell, but not for you and me. Amen. He has prepared that for the angel, for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will also uh, say to those on his left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for you. For the devil and his angel. God never prepared hell for man. Amen. What did God prepare for man? He prepared glory for man. Amen. Uh, Romans 9.23. The word here is, is a different Greek word. It really means prepared beforehand or like prepared ahead of time. Um, Romans um, 9.23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy which he has uh, before prepared unto glory. That's you and me. Way beforehand, God has prepared glory for us. And finally, God has prepared good works 
that we might walk in it. Amen. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. So God has prepared good things for all of us. Amen. We just have to trust him. Even though it can be hard sometimes, we just have to trust that he is a good God. He's a faithful God. And even if he doesn't answer the way we want him to answer, expect him to answer, we just need to trust him no matter what. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray.